Amen. Hey, thank the team, if you would. And great to have a full band up there. It's good. I mean, everything's better with drums, right? So, Jay, thanks for making time. And uh, Josh and Amy, the whole crew, really. Um, we're glad that you're here. If you're online, uh, we're glad that you're there as well. Um, you, you could have the mistaken impression if you're online that since we've opened up that uh, the room is full or there's lots of people here. And I mean, not to discount all of you fine people that are in the room, but you know, they can't see, they can't see you. They just see what's happening up here. And, uh, and there's each week that we've met, with people in the room, there's been just as many more actually watching online that have been here in the room. And, you know, maybe that's good in, in some ways because it's important for us to open up slow and, and to just be thoughtful and careful. And um, as we're watching things unfold in our country, we know that, you know, when it comes to uh, COVID-19 and this, this pandemic, we're not through the, we're not through it. You know, I mean, there's stuff happening and uh, it's very hard for those who study these things and who are paying attention to the details to get their arms around the whys and the whats and the hows. And, and so, man, I just feel for the people who are leading and trying to sort all that out. And then there's the, all of us who sit at home and, and you know, uh, make our own opinions and critique and all of that. And mostly what we need to do, of course, is just pray and hope and support and uh, do the things that we can do. But if you're at home, you may have been under the mistaken impression that you're missing out on, you know, the, the church coming back together in a big, warm family reunion. And I haven't hugged anybody yet today, and I know most of you are really grateful for that. Um, but if you're at home, know that you're just as much a part of our body at home now, still, as the folks that are here in person. And make no mistake, we love that there are some of you here and that it's, a, it's much better, so different than uh, leading worship to or preaching to or teaching to uh, an empty room. And so we're grateful for that. But we're a little bit as a body here and there, aren't we? And not all of you are here every week and not all of you are online every week. But uh, as we it, go through this series and talk about what it means to come home and uh, the way home, returning home, then you'll see that our experience right now during this pandemic and this whole deal um, and even what's going on in our country uh, in terms of the racial reckoning that's occurring, uh, it's not unusual. What occurred for the people of Israel and the, this, this incredible nation of Babylon and all of that, all of these things, uh, history has a way of sort of revisiting itself. And so before we jump into that and give you a glimpse of where we're headed today, there's a few things I want you to know that are coming up and really important. I want you to mark your calendars and, and just know kind of what's happening. So uh, normally in the month of May as a church, we have our annual meeting and uh, normally we're preparing for that annual meeting in March and April and doing all sorts of things, you know, budgeting and, and dreaming and thinking and restructuring our leadership team, all of that. Well, in March this year, we were trying to figure out how to have church. And so uh, we put some things off and just kind of held the status quo for the time being. And now we're trying to figure out as we get close to this annual meeting date, how we're going to navigate the rest of our, what would be our fiscal year uh, that's left normally that would be punctuated by the annual meeting. So our annual meeting that we're going to have as a congregation is Sunday, August 30th. 
and it will happen here in this room after our second service. But that's not the only uh, place and time or, or way that we'll deliver this information. It'll be online as well. And so we haven't quite figured out all the details, but it'll be similar to the address they're using right now. And so if you want to participate and you want to know kind of what's happening, where's the church headed, how's the budget, what's happening with the church financially, um, all those kinds of things, then we'll fill you in at the annual meeting. And, you know, spoiler alert, the church is doing so well, and we're so grateful for you and your generosity. However, we want to talk about that at length. If you're joining us online for that meeting, then know that we will have a mechanism in place for you to vote like we normally do. And so just mark that date down, okay? It's important. Uh, for members and attenders or people who are interested in being a part of our body, that would be great. Another important date that we want you to know about is this one. Uh, last year, we had a, a time over at Miller Park at the amphitheater, and we did a little worship in the park. Were you there for that? Some of you were. And so we're going to do it again. And uh, they're, they're, the Parks and Rec Department is allowing us to do this, and it'll give us a chance to be socially distanced if we want. There's room and there's space outside to make all that happen. Now, if you remember last year when we had it, it was in the morning, and it was in August, and it was hot, and I was the only one in the shade, and uh, I thought it was great. But some of you were sweating, and uh, so we decided that we would do it in the evening. And so Sunday, on that day, August 23rd, coming up, We'll have church in the evening, so we won't have church in the morning here. We'll all gather at Miller Park at night. If you want to come early, as early as 4 o'clock, we will have some food trucks and some food options, some safe and sanitary ways for you to enjoy some food together. No buffets and no pitch-ins, okay? So rest easy. We're not uh, that silly. So uh, know that we're kind of working all the details out, but mark the date down and keep that evening open. We would love for you to be a part of that, Okay. So for the last, yeah, you can clap for that. I like that. Yeah, we're excited. So for the last few weeks, we've been kind of setting the context for where we're headed as the exiles return home. And, and we're going to make the turn today to Ezra, Ezra chapter 1, but just at the very end of the message. Because as I was thinking and planning and, and getting ready for this Sunday and paying attention to the exile, there were just a few thoughts that I wanted to share with you, okay? And so it's interesting when we look at this timeline. We kind of dug into this over the last three weeks. We have the kings of Israel, and we talked about that, right? King Saul, King David, King Solomon, and then, of course, the divided kingdom right before the exile, and the prophets. Last week was really all about the prophets, and this week is a lot about a couple of specific prophets. Even while the nation of Israel is in exile, God raises up a couple of prophets to talk to them while they're in Babylon, I mean, this is, how, this is how interested God is in you and me and in what's going on in the world. Even while they have been, you know, disobedient and rebellious as a people, God says, you know, it's going to be bad. There's going to be an enemy from the north. They're going to come in. They're going to take, take you. You're going to be enslaved. You're going to be, it's just not good. And it's because you haven't followed me. You haven't stayed connected to me. You haven't been humble and repentant before me. And so this is a natural consequence to the behavior, the posture, the heart, and the mind, the people of Israel. And so that's exactly what happens. We'll see it unfold in Scripture. But even while the nation of Israel, not all of them, a lot of them, are in exile in Babylon, even in that setting, God raises up a couple of prophets. And when he does... 
uh, the messages they share and that they bring and their experiences, because you remember prophets called by God, this is a, I'm calling you for this time, speak for me to my people. They don't have power, they don't have position, they don't have authority. They're just delivering an important message that God has given them, an oracle, if you will. And so they teach, but then they also live. And the way they live or the things that they do is part of their message all about last week. God raises these two men up. And they are the exile prophets, and that happens while they're away. And you've heard their names before. We even mentioned them last week, just briefly, Ezekiel and Daniel. And it's important because they're going to share some things that I think are kind of important for us. Even though we're coming home and some of you are back in church and some of you are engaging in normal life again or maybe going to the office or wondering how much normalcy can occur it still feels like that we're at least a little bit in exile, doesn't it? It still feels like that maybe we haven't quite rounded third on the way home. And some of us are hopeful for that, but then we look at the fall and we wonder about a resurgence or a second wave, or we, we just have no idea. There's all kinds of uncertainty. Well, the people of Israel, even when they went into exile, they went in groups, not everybody went at once, about three different groups, at different times, and even when they came back home, they came back in groups. Not everybody came home at once. While they're in Babylon, what these prophets share, well, there's just two very simple nuggets that I want you to take with you today that will help you sort of grasp kind of where we are and, and, and what's happening. So we'll start with Daniel, and you know a little bit about Daniel, and even if you didn't go to Sunday school much growing up, maybe you've heard about Daniel in the lion's den. We just sang Another in the fire, all about the fiery furnace, and Daniel's three buddies, right? Remember their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and what? So I was little, I thought it was to bed we go, which is the one thing I didn't want to do. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so th these are some of the big stories that are happening in Daniel. When the book of Daniel opens, this is the very beginning of the book of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, now, maybe you don't even know who that is. He was a king, a king of Judah. Divided kingdom, southern kingdom. He's the last king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This is the beginning of the exile. And as the exile begins, King Nebuchadnezzar exerts his force. Babylon had already become a very important nation. They had already conquered most of the known world. Years before, Assyria had come and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and they were the main power. But under Nebuchadnezzar's dad, Nabopolassar, he, Babylon became a very important world force. And it's in all of the history books. I love it when you can take the historical understanding that you have and match it up with scripture and know that they're all describing the same history. The Bible, of course, tells it from a very important, very unique perspective. Nebuchadnezzar then built Babylon into an incredible power. He, he restructured it. He built palaces. He, he built a water system that had never been seen before in the world. Uh, aqueducts and canals and rivers and reservoirs. In fact, they fed one of the ancient wonders of the world, the amazing hanging gardens of Babylon. And as he conquered the countries around him, some of them, of course, were conquered by force, but many are what we call a vassal state, which means that 
they said, hey, we'll live in peace if you let us live in peace, but we recognize your king. And at the time, Judah, Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, they were a vassal state. And every now and then, one of the kings of Judah would say, I don't think this is a good arrangement, and they would rebel. And eventually, this is what Jehoiakim did, he rebelled and said, we don't want to be a vassal state. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm getting a little tired of this twerpy little Judah acting like they have independence. And so, what did he do? He went to Jerusalem, destroyed it, besieged it. And he took with him almost everything that mattered. In fact, the, the book of Daniel says this, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Don't rush past it. What did you just read? And the Lord delivered his king into the hands of an evil king. Now, there's an important piece when you read the prophets, you understand something about history and how we might fit into history. Everything you're reading is the perspective of somebody who has looked back on what has occurred and given some context to it. Nobody, very few people at the time, understand exactly what's going on when it's going on. Did you hear that? Very few people in the middle of context, in the middle of the circumstances, in the middle of the headlines and the events and the emotional pull of what's happening, very few people have the ability. In fact, I would say only those who are gifted by God to write down the words of God would be the ones that would be able to rise above the fray and the melee and the mess and the tension and the sides to say, well, this is really what's happening. But now we have a picture thousands of years old with an understanding and a perspective. And it was the Lord that delivered his king of his people into the hands of an evil king, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God, which was many gods, in Babylonia, and put in the treasure of the house of his God. He didn't just take things. He just didn't conquer the people. They took some specific people because they looked like they would be an asset to the king. And so one of these people that they took, well, his name was Daniel, and he was a fine, young Jewish man, probably a teenager, just a very young man. He was, he was physically fit. He was handsome, easy on the eyes. And he had what the scriptures call an aptitude for learning. When he got to Babylon, the king said, I want you to take some of these young Jewish people that we have captured, and I want you to put them in training. I want them to, to eat the, what we eat. I want them to learn what we learn. I want them to study our ways, study our history. I want them to become really full Babylonians. And then we can figure out if they're useful to us. And of course, the stories of Daniel, chapters 1 and chapter 2, articulate all of this. And it's a story all in and of itself. You should read it. It's very compelling. And as this happens, the king pays attention. And those who were under the king began to put some of these young men from Judah into the king's service. And one of them is Daniel. He's a wise young man. And he has a reputation for wisdom. Now, about the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign he begins to have dreams in the night that he's troubled by. 
And when he has these dreams, he calls in all of his magicians and his sorcerers and the people that he believes that can kind of help him find the way out of his troubled nights of sleep. And when he does that, he says to all of them, I'm having some weird dreams. I don't know what to do about it. I don't even know what they mean. So here's what I want you to do. Sorcerers and magicians and those who are maybe apt to be able to help the king. He says, I want you to tell me what my dreams are and then I want you to interpret the dreams for me. And the people who are listening, they say, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. That's, that's why you have us around. That's why we're here. So if you would, just tell us what the dreams were and we'll tell you what they mean. King Nebuchadnezzar I mean, you know, he's the king, right? It's not his first time around the block. He says, no, no, you misunderstood. And you're stalling for time, in fact. That's not how it's going to work. You're going to tell me what I dreamed first. And then you're going to tell me what it means. And if you can't, then I'm going to have you cut up into little pieces and put in a pile of rubble. And these wise sorcerers and magicians said to the king, what you're asking no one can do. And the king, of course, angry, says, put them all to death. Daniel hears about this. And Daniel, while he wasn't in the first company of audience of the people that were with the king, he's going to be one of the wise people that will be put to death. He hears about this and he asks and requests for time with the king. He wants an audience with the king. Well, this is, of course, tantamount to, you know, pass or fail. It is, you know, show up or put up or end up in a pile of rubble cut into pieces. In fact, Daniel would ask for an audience for a king, know that he's putting himself at risk very first. He asks for an audience with the king and then he goes and he meets with his friends and he says, hey, this is bad. We don't know what's going to happen next. Let's pray because we believe that there is a God in heaven that hears us and that will meet us and will take care of us. They prayed that night after they prayed Daniel, well, the mystery was revealed to him. Not only what the dreams mean, but what the king had dreamed himself. In fact, it says in Daniel, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. He hadn't met the king yet, hadn't spent time with the king. And as Daniel receives this understanding, he doesn't even know if he's right. He just actually knows that he's right. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven, and this is what he said. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. What does Daniel know? Wisdom and power belong to God and God alone. Wisdom, authority, power, all of it belongs to God. I know, you started a company and you're in charge and you know what's up and how things work. Nope, no, no. Wisdom and power belong to God. I know, I know. People come to you for advice and they want you to help and help them find the way and they, they call you wise. No, no, this is what Daniel knows. And this is what every humble servant of God knows. Wisdom and power are what? His, that's it, that's all. He understands this and he knows it. And then he says this. He changes times and seasons. And he, say it with me, what does he do? He deposes kings. Do you think this counts for presidents? Of course it does. He deposes kings 
and he raises up what? This is what he does. Now we embrace this truth. We love this truth. We lean into this truth when things are going well, when our candidate wins, when we understand what's happening. But when we don't understand what's happening, this is one of the first things to go out the door, isn't it? I want wisdom. I want power. I don't know how in the world this king got in, in place. Surely somebody's asleep at the wheel. Somebody blinked or looked the other way or is off doing some other thing in another galaxy. I have no idea. Daniel knows this is true. Now, remember, don't forget I know, Daniel just got a cool dream and a cool vision and he feels like God is with him. I know that. Don't forget, Daniel is a young man. He doesn't have many of your years of wisdom and understanding. He's a young man. He's in a foreign country. He was kidnapped and dragged off as a prisoner. And he knows wisdom and power come from God. He deposes kings and he sets up others. And the seasons change and God is in charge of all of it. And then, then Daniel says this. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things and he knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with him. There are those who seek him. There are those who in the middle of confusion and uncertainty, seek God. There are those who seek him. Daniel was one of them. Me and you, we should be people like that who seek him because we know and believe that God is in charge. He's, he's sovereign. He, he's, he's everything. But not only that, wisdom and power belong to him. They do not belong to us. They aren't things that we can possess. If we have them, we have them for a moment in an open hand. And then they're yanked from us in an instant. Why? Because God changes things. He's the one that changes the seasons. Somebody who's behaving that way, the way Daniel did, well, when we read the news, we, instead of offering opinions, we pray. We open-handedly say things like, I have no idea what's going on, but I know God is with me and I know wisdom and power belong to him. I'm not sure which course things should take. I have ideas, but I don't know if they're right ones or not. I know wisdom and power come from him. Oh, and it takes an immense amount of humility to do that, doesn't it? It takes an incredible amount of humility to say, I'm not sure. I don't have the answers, but think about the converse, the pride it must be for some of us when we come up with all of the answers for all of the world's ills the pride that has to be present. Well, on the other end of the spectrum is Daniel, who's willing to say, I'm not worried about coming up with the right answer for the king. Wisdom and power belong to God. He'll give it to me or he won't. But I'd like to go meet with the king. Here's what Daniel knew. And this is what we need to know. That even in, even in exile, Daniel remembered that God is, what's the word? Sovereign. 
sovereign. That doesn't mean that God is in charge and we just back off. That doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that we go into autopilot or say in a Pollyanna way, well, I'm sure everything will just be fine. God, God needs men and women who will engage in culture and help bring about change and be a catalyst for things to move in the right direction. But if you do so without believing and understanding that God is sovereign, then you're gonna do it from your own power. You're gonna do it from your own way, your own will. It's gonna come from a place of selfish motives or your desire for what you think is right. No, no, wisdom and power, they come from God and God alone, always. He remembered that God is sovereign that God's purposes cannot be thwarted. They cannot. That God will have his way, no matter who's in charge, because he's the one that deposes kings and raises up others. So what is he looking for? Oh, men and women humbly serving him, remembering and knowing that wisdom and power come from him and him alone. This is his enduring conviction and he believes it. So what happens when you forget that God is sovereign? All kinds of things. I bet you've experienced some of it over the last few months. Oh, we, we worry. Anybody worrying? We have anxiety. Anybody deal with anxiety? Yeah. Uh, some of us engage in controlling behaviors. Are there any controlling people here online? Anybody controlling things in their life? And so when those things happen, we, we have worry, we have fear, we have anxiety. Odds are, if those are things that you're experiencing, then the reality and the truth that God is sovereign has sort of slipped off your radar. And that's normal. Happens to me at least a few times a week. And when it does, we draw back to God and believe. Wisdom and power come from you and you alone. So after this dream, Daniel he says, hey, what about that time with the king? I need to go have an audience with the king. And so he's brought before the king. And the king says the same thing to Daniel. He says, you know, I've been having dreams, trouble. I need you to tell me what the dream is. I need you to interpret it. Daniel says the exact same thing that all of the other sorcerers and magicians say to King Nebuchadnezzar. The very first thing out of his mouth is this. King, there is no man that can give you the answer that you seek. And then he waits, and then he says, but there's a God in heaven who is a revealer of mysteries. And he tells the king exactly what he dreamed, exactly what it meant. God is sovereign, powerful. Is this your enduring conviction? And if it's not, then maybe it's something for you to pay attention to this week. All right, one more simple thought before we're done, and we're close. Um, and so, Daniel, that's the, that's the takeaway, okay? Ezekiel, God calls him as a prophet. In the very beginning of Ezekiel, it starts like this. In my 30th year, Daniel's a young man. Ezekiel's still a young man. I used to think 30 wasn't young, but that was when I was 28. In my 30th year, in my 30th year, in the fourth month on the fifth day, very specific, right, when I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. This is Ezekiel. And we talked a little bit about Ezekiel and how crazy his time as a prophet was. And it was. This is five years into the exile. Five years into the exile, 
Ezekiel is probably, I don't know, maybe he's seeking God in humility. Maybe he's worried. Maybe he's pouting. Maybe he's anxious. I don't know. But he's down by the river Kabar. And in that moment, God opens the heavens up and he sees this incredible vision. You can read about it in Ezekiel 1. And God uses Ezekiel over a long period of time to tell the people of God. Now, Daniel, he was a prophet in the halls of power. Ezekiel was a prophet to the exiles of Israel. Very different. He was a prophet to the Jewish men and women who were stuck in Babylon. And he didn't have the notoriety that Daniel did and the privilege and the position that Daniel did. Ezekiel lived a tough life, bound up, laying on the ground for a year, eating stuff that you couldn't even imagine he ate. All of these directed by God. And it was tough. And God came alongside Ezekiel and said, hey, Ezekiel, look, they're not going to listen. They are a hard-hearted, rebellious people. But just because they are, you have to obey. You are mine. You belong to me. I've called you as a prophet. And Ezekiel lives this life of obedience, and he lives this life of this oracle, his life and his words, a prophet of God. But it's not all doom and gloom for Ezekiel. God gives him a picture and a glimmer of hope. And he gives Ezekiel, it has to be one of the best benefits of this role of prophet. There are many. He gives Ezekiel a glimpse of hope that is probably the most incredible picture. In fact, if you know anything about Ezekiel, you know a little bit about this vision. It's the most popular part of his vision in his life but you don't get to it until Ezekiel chapter 37. Chapter 37 begins like this. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley. God takes Ezekiel physically, literally, figuratively. I don't know. I like to believe that Ezekiel was there and saw it someplace in the land of Babylon. And God says, I'm going to show you something, Ezekiel. I want you to see a picture. I know it's been a hard life. I know you've eaten things that you, nobody, I know you've done things that nobody should have to do. So I want you to see what's coming. I want you to know what's happening. And so he takes him out to a valley. And in that valley, it's full of bones. And he sees the bones and they are dry and dusty bones. Think Think Moab. Think the Utah desert. Picture the dustiness. And these bones are there. And God looks at Ezekiel and he says to Ezekiel, he asked me, son of man. It's a great phrase. It's what Mark uses to refer to Jesus. And this is why translators have left it in this way. But really it means offspring of Adam. It's the same word as in Genesis, Adam. Offspring of Adam. Can these bones live? It's a great question, isn't it? Isn't it a great question? Can these bones live? Come on, what do you think? Can our nation heal? Can we find our way forward? Do you think we can be knit back together as a people? What about your family? Can your family heal from the things they've said that nobody should say to somebody? Can your marriage heal from unfaithfulness and betrayal and Hardness of heart. What about you? Can you be made new? Can you find a new way forward? Can you believe that God is for you and not against you? Can these bones live? It's a great question, isn't it? 
Ezekiel's answer is profound. I said, what does he say? What does he call God? Sovereign Lord, only you know. You alone know. And so God looked at Ezekiel and said, look, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the what? The word of the Lord. It's no mistake that John calls Jesus the word, that it is eternal, that it has always existed, it will always exist. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. He says, this is what you say to the bones. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And so God tells him exactly what instructions to give to the bones, that you will come back to life. I will make breath enter you you will be joined together again and then tendons will appear and flesh will cover you and then you will stand up and you will be physical again, human people again. And then the breath of God will enter you and you will have life. This breath is the same breath that was hovering over the spirit of the waters at the very beginning of creation, exact same word, ruah, God's presence, his spirit and I will make you new again. And so Ezekiel hears, and he obeys. And so he looks down at the bones, and he says, you will come back to life. And so it says there in Ezekiel 37, you ought to read for yourselves the whole first half of the chapter, that the bones began to move together. Nothing was there holding them together. And they clacked together and rattled. And as they rattled, tendons began to appear and flesh began to appear. And God says, this is Israel, and this is me, and this is you. Dead, dry, and dusty, and lifeless. And I will put you together again and bring you back to life. That's what I'll do. I've done it before in creation, in Eden. What did he make Adam of? Do you remember? The dust of the earth. And he breathed into it, his ruah, and life was made. And God will do it again. He said so to Ezekiel, and he says so to us. Do you remember when Lazarus died, what Jesus said to Mary and to Martha and their family before Lazarus had even begun to move an inch in the tomb? Jesus said, I am the resurrection, and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. This is the story that God has told since the beginning of creation. And it's the story that he's telling right now. And what he's looking for, men and women, that can begin to create places where people can flourish and experience the goodness and the grace of God. Because all wisdom and power belong to him. And then... Things begin to change for Israel and the people that are in exile, the very beginning of Ezra. And this is where we make our turn for the rest of this series. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, wait a minute, what is he king of? Oh, I thought they were in a place called Babylon. What has just happened? What happens? Oh, God uh, deposes kings and he raises up new ones. Babylon was amazing. Nebuchadnezzar was incredible, but what followed him were a few kings that weren't so amazing and King Cyrus, the king of Persia, took advantage 
Oh, it just lasts for a moment, doesn't it? Our power, our authority, our wealth, our reputation, it's like the wind, like James says. It's like a mist. The first year, Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by who? The prophet Jeremiah. Look what God does. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, and he says, I'm going to send you home. It's time to go home. We're going to rebuild the temple and you get your city again. God moving in time to do what he does best. So now, as you face a week in this moment, in the year 2020, will you remember that God is sovereign? Will you remember that he brings back from the dead every living thing that he has created, that he makes a new heaven and a new earth? Let's pray. Lord, we ask in this moment that we would carry with us the truth of this reality that we see every day, that you are about the business of establishing and declaring through the events of all that we see around us, your sovereignty and your love and your grace and your mercy, and that you indeed make all things new and that you are doing that right now. Lord, it is in these moments when the truth of this is so important to cling to, build into our hearts and lives as an enduring conviction. So Lord, this week when we're tempted to miss the point, when we're tempted to forget that you are sovereign, when we're tempted to not remember that you are about the business of bringing dry bones to life, that this includes us, that you are in fact sovereign, remind us that wisdom and power come from you and you alone. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make a way and that we would follow that way because we believe this is what you've been doing since the beginning of time and you continue to do it today. And so we declare this loudly and boldly, build it into our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, amen.